Well, good morning, saints. Good morning, sinners. Good to have you all here today. I have something special for you. Uh, first of all, baby dedication is always good. But the next thing that is, is great is uh, our fellowship is having a conference uh, this week, and so people are able to come from about uh, 11, 1,200 churches all over the can- uh, all, from all over Canada, settling here at Winnipeg. They're meeting at Calvary Temple, and it's a uh, bi-yearly tradition that we do. And so we're coming together, and a bunch of pastors are in town. And uh, today we have a treat. Um, you know, every once in a while, people look at me and they go, are you an only child? Because um, you look like one. So... I have to assure them, no, you know, we had, uh, my parents loved me dearly, but I was the youngest of uh, three boys. And the last thing I ever wanted to do uh, at the time was, uh, my dad was a pastor, and then all of a sudden my older brother was a pastor, and I never wanted to be a pastor. I actually appreciated just serving the role of being a pain in everybody's rear end for all of my life. But uh, God got a hold of me and, and, and changed. Change was a little slow. Um, not sure that was God's fault or my, my fault, but that was part of it. But my eldest brother, his name is Ron, uh, he's 13 years older than me. And he was very, yeah, I'm, I had to throw that in there, sorry. I had to, uh, I have to give him credit because he was very patient with me. Uh, I know that uh, growing up in the same house, I, I probably annoyed him more than ever. And it wasn't until he was 18 and able to get out of the house and go to Bible college, he was probably set free from the aggravation of myself, but uh, Ron has always been this guy that I've admired. I've admired, and yet I've always been told, and, and it was funny because even a couple of weeks ago, I got a text from one of our steering committee members who just simply said, you and your brother are so different, and, I, and I'm, I'm kind of thinking, well, is that a good thing or is it a bad thing? Because there was no clarification there. Um, but the fact of the matter is, uh, there's always, he took a risk on me. Um, I was a youth pastor at Calvary Temple. We were just newly married, roughly a couple of years in. Had Josh. And then I get a phone call from my brother who was pastoring in Victoria. He said, uh, would, you, would you come and work for me? And, uh, you know, we, we accepted the call to go to Victoria and, it was, it was an interesting dynamic, and I think it's part of the dynamic that some of you try to figure out with Pastor Jordan and myself and how we are able to work together. But I've been able to, to tell Jordan, you know, I used to work with my brother, and my brother would call me into his office every time I was in trouble and uh, sit us down, and we'd have to define the rules. Is this senior pastor to youth pastor, or is this brother to brother? And and, it, you know, it was such a learning experience, and I learned a whole lot about ministry um, from working with my brother, which actually I think enables me and my son to be able to work together as well. But more than that, I have a brother that I look up to. I have a brother that I can phone. This wasn't supposed to happen. <laughs> that I can phone. If it's a ministry problem, if it's a family problem, if it's anything, I have a big brother. And um, my big brother has life experience, 13 years more than me, mind you, but life experience nonetheless. And uh, 
it's, it's something that I value to this day. I would often talk in, in our men's group that, and Cam can attest to this, that, you know, when I need to go somewhere, I got somebody that I can go to. I got somebody to bounce ideas off. I got somebody to ask questions to. And I got somebody that I look up to. So when he phoned and he said he's coming to conference and we want to get together, I asked him, would you at least come and share and preach? And so Ron is going to continue in our series. Uh, and uh, he is still currently on staff at Glad Tidings Church in Victoria. Um, uh, is it, are you the, what's your official title? Senior Associate. Senior Associate. And so would you give Ron a warm welcome, and would you open your hearts and your ears to what the Lord will have to say to you today. So that's the whole story, folks. It's great to be the big brother. And uh, I appreciate my tall little brother. Well, whenever I come back to Winnipeg, uh, I find myself getting nostalgic. It was here I spent my formative years, my family life growing up, my schooling, my church life, and some of my ministry. Uh, although I was thinking, I've pretty much lived just as long in Victoria, B.C. as I've lived in Winnipeg. And yet, you know, you can take the boy out of the prairies, but I'm not sure you can take the prairies out of the boy. I still love big sky and sunshine and uh, outdoor hockey rinks. And, uh, and I know what it is this time of year to look down on tired, raw, red hands that filled sandbags all day to save your uncle's house. We have many memories, fond memories, and uh, have had many fine influences on our life here in Winnipeg. And uh, thank God, I say, for the people that God puts into our lives. Um, here we are in Soul Sanctuary this morning, and if I were to ask you to name three outstanding Christians that you know made a formidable impression upon you, I'd be intrigued with your answer. Some of you might have difficulty getting up a list of three outstanding Christians, but some of you could draw that list very quickly. Uh, maybe it was uh, a pastor or a preacher that were just fine people and you admired them. Or perhaps your list would have someone who had an exciting spiritual experience. So their relationship with God seemed extraordinary to you. And you envied them with a healthy envy. Or perhaps you just would choose an ordinary person who knew God, but they were just so grounded and so wise and so real. Someone who knew what they believed and uh, they lived it out every day and 
you thought, I want to be like that. Well, I thank God for people like that too, but I, I, I need to tell you that no matter how great these people may be in your life, there is someone who is always greater. Don't get me wrong, I've always been grateful for people in my life who've been true to their calling, true to their testimony, true to God. We need these people, authentic, uh, full of vitality, and uh, loving. And for me, sometimes it's been a community pastor, but many of them have been businessmen and businesswomen who made their first business a relationship with the Lord. And as a young boy, I would uh, look across the aisle of church on a Sunday morning like this, and I'd watch them, these people worship God. And it did something for me. What it did is it validated the gospel for me. That's why we need to assemble in church again, because it's here that you see the gospel with hands and feet, and uh, it's here that you see the gospel with a personable smile and a firm handshake, and uh, that makes a difference for you, and it'll make a difference for your children and your children's children. But regarding those important associations, for me, I didn't need to look much further than my own family for inspiration. You know, my father, he used to attend this church when he was living. Uh, I just regard him as a very godly man. Um, I, I was just thinking the other week, and of all the good things I could say about him, I was thinking, I never heard my father swear once in his life. Now, that's not a big deal. But yeah, it is, because I golf with guys every week <laughs> that were about his age. And uh, just thinking about it last week, I thought, that is a big deal. Because never once. Where do you get that kind of self-control except from God? So my family has inspired me to be a better man, and even now my own brother, I love telling stories about how God is using him, and every few months there's another incredible story, and I'm inspired. And yet the Bible says, uh, there's one, there is one that sticketh closer than a brother. I can affirm that today, and of all the good things my brother said about me, I know that he will tell you the same. There is one who sticketh closer than a brother. And that's the one I really want to talk to you about this morning. And you know who he is. His name is Jesus. 
because there's nobody quite like Jesus. He's a life changer. He's a difference maker. He's a savior and a friend, and there's nobody like Jesus. Because he's great in person, he's great in power, and he's great in pastoral concern. When God chose to reveal himself, he did so, surprise of surprises, Max Lucado says, through a human body. The tongue that called forth the dead was a human one. The hand that touched, yes, touched the leper, had dirt under its nails. <laughs> the feet upon which the woman wept were dusty feet. And the tears, his tears, don't miss his tears, because they came from a heart as broken as yours or mine have ever been. Mark chapter 1, verses 32 to 34, my text this morning, it says that evening, when the sun did set, they brought to him all that were diseased and them that were possessed with devils. And all the city was gathered at the door. And he healed many that were sick with disease and cast out many devils and suffered the devils not to speak because they all knew him. Some people don't realize how great Jesus is. When I worked in youth ministry many years ago, I guess many, many, many years ago, <laughs> I knew there was a task before me to help young people understand who Jesus is because there were so many teenagers who lived with misconceptions about Jesus. For many of them, Jesus was meek and mild, full of mercy and kind of like a rabbit mercy, kind of like a rabbit meek. But on the other hand, they saw Satan as being a tiger, like a tiger terrifying. So Jesus is his rabbit, and the devil is a tiger, and I don't know where they got that idea, Maybe they'd watched too many horror films where the devil wins, and movie makers love that theme. Or maybe it was in their music. Or maybe just the culture's emphasis of the dark side. And so this was the impression they had. But the truth is, it's the other way around. Jesus is the tiger. And here in my text this morning, Jesus proves it because the demons obeyed him. And the people were amazed, the Bible says. But Jesus was not amazed because the demons always had and always will obey Christ. 
if they could disobey the demand of God, they would be as powerful as God. And Christianity only degenerates to superstition when it accords Satan such power. Dualism is a false doctrine. Dualism is the false doctrine that teaches that the world is a battleground of a dark god named Satan and a god of light named Jehovah. But there are not two gods. There's only one. And Satan is not a god. Nor does he have power like Christ has power. In fact, Satan is already judged and is waiting his final sentencing according to Revelation 12, 12. He has a short time, the Bible says. You look around and you realize that he's doing a great deal of harm in the world, but only because he goes unchallenged. Never allow this idea of dualism in your life. Satan, the devil, and his minions are as subject to Christ in 2022 as they were when Jesus walked this earth. The devil must obey Christ. He has no choice in the matter. He does not have great power. Well, maybe in relation to you and me he does, but not Jesus, not Christ. So if you order the devil out of your affairs, command him in Jesus' name. In fact, silence him in Jesus' name, and he will obey. Now, there are stories that our mothers have never heard from us. And one, because they're too embarrassing to tell, and two, because they might get us into deeper trouble. <laughs> and three, because we would have to explain ourselves. Well, here's a story my mother never heard. Uh, years ago, in my teen years, I was actually 16, I regularly attended youth night, and as it happened, one night after Friday youth service, we were invited to a party. It was at the home of a new Christian named David, and he was a proper kind of guy. He was a little older than the rest of us, but uh, it was a Christian kids' party, and uh, we were all hanging out, and everybody was behaving themselves and listening to records, some of us. And David had quite a collection. Do you know, by the way, do you know what a record is? <laughs> it's a piece of vinyl. It's got, well, of course, they're having a comeback now, so you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, among his collection of record albums, he had a vinyl by Ravine. Now, back in the day, Ravine was an itinerant 
hypnotist who visited the communities of Western Canada every winter. I tell you the truth. And uh, he would come with his show, and the show comprised of basically calling people out of the audience and hypnotizing them on stage and causing them to do silly things that they would never do in public otherwise. And uh, I knew that because I saw the commercials on TV. <laughs> well, just for fun, we got hold of this uh, record of his and listened to it, specifically on the subject of personal relaxation. Because uh, at the time, I was having a hard time falling asleep, and maybe a lot of teenagers identify with that. Uh, the party was over. I went home, thinking nothing of it, except the next night, when I, I couldn't fall asleep. And uh, I thought of that record the night before, and uh, I thought, I might try a relaxation technique. And so with amazing clarity, I went, I went step by step into this unfamiliar process of what I assumed was a harmless exercise that in a matter of minutes led me into an occultic experience of astral projection. Um, and this was all happening far from the maddening crowd in the private confines of a prairie boy's simple room. I was just trying to find a quick way to fall asleep, and I found myself quickly out of control. In fact, as I had given myself to this process, I found myself moving at light speed through hyperspace, and this was before Star Wars, by the way, uh, and that's, at least that's what it felt like, and, and, and totally out of control, and moving toward what I could only describe as a dark and menacing cloud. It was like I had decided to go hitchhiking, which we used to do back in the day, and I wouldn't recommend it now. Now, I had an idea where I wanted to go, so I got into the car, first mistake. I cinched up the seat belt, but I didn't expect the automatic door locks to engage and click. And it was like now we are speeding 0 to 100 Ks in 4.8 seconds with a menacing, dangerous destination in the distance that I hadn't asked for. And uh, my heart was racing. I, I wasn't looking for this, and yet here I was in the middle of it, and I knew I was in trouble, and I couldn't stop the acceleration, and I didn't quite know how or why this was happening. All I knew is I had to get out of it, and so locked into this out-of-control seizure, I cried out one word, and only the only word I knew, and that was, Jesus! <laughs> and I wasn't swearing, folks. I was calling on the Lord God Almighty. I just said it once. I said, Jesus! 
and it broke. Whatever it was, it broke in an instant. And here I am, catching my breath, and, and uh, now I think back on it. I was telling this story to a friend just the other day, and he said, well, uh, so how did you process that? I said, I didn't process it. He said, oh, that's right, you're 16. Yeah, you just move on to the next thing, right? I didn't process it. But I learned something. You don't need to know how to pray. All you need to know is how to say Jesus. Because there is power in the name of Jesus. The devil obeyed him then, and the devils obey him now. My text this morning reminds us how that Jesus is the greatest. He's great in person. There's nobody like Jesus. He's great in power, and he's great in pastoral concern. The, the scriptures show us how that when Jesus was ministering on this earth, he was ever torn between uh, the poles of a, a splendid paradox. Here he was eager to tell all the world that he was God's son come to save the people from their sins. But he also knew that eager disclosure must reckon with the critical issue of timing. So often he would defer the joy, you might say, of revealing his identity so he would not hasten that inevitable crucifixion. He knew if he became too open, then there would be terminal cries of crucify him, crucify him, and they would come too soon. But the enemy knew who Jesus was. So when Jesus cast out demons, he would, and we read it this morning, he would forbid them to tell what they knew about him. Well, what did they know about him? They knew from the beginning of the foundations of the earth, Christ existed. I'm taking you to Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, and I didn't know if I was going to use this in my sermon this morning, but I feel I must. It says, for by him, for by Christ, were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have preeminence. 
For it pleased the Father that in him should all the fullness of the Godhead dwell. Never give the devil any entrance into your life. There's no room in your heart for both the Lord and him. And so just speak the name of Jesus and command the devil to shut up if you have to, in Jesus' name. Smith Wigglesworth, an old-time Pentecostal preacher, wrote a book, I Talk Back to the Devil. <laughs> and, I, and all he was saying is I tell him to shut up sometimes. I'm sure that everybody in this room has heard his voice. Maybe you had not recognized it for being his voice. Why don't you just kill yourself? What? Tell the devil to shut up. Why don't you just go out on your own now and forget this, what you've been following and all these things that you've been holding on to. You can do better than this. Go without Christ. Go without your Christian friends. Tell them to shut up. Because there's no one like Jesus. Nobody. I proved that in the long years that I've lived. And probably more so in the last 10 years. I mean, God just keeps on making me understand how great Jesus is. He's great in person. He's great in power. He's great in pastoral concern. I say he's great in pastoral concern because uh, in this same Bible text, uh, Mark chapter 1, uh, just a few verses later, Jesus does the unthinkable. He touches and heals a leper. To touch a leper was taboo. Banishing lepers was normal. People literally would not go within a stone's throw of them. And if the lepers somehow forgot how far that was, people would remind them by actually throwing stones at them. So with open sores and dirty bandages, uh, lepers were the last persons that anyone would want to touch. And yet the first thing that Jesus did for this man was touch him. Even before Jesus spoke to him, he reached out his hand and he, he touched him. I can't help but think how this man must have longed for a personal touch. Leonard Sweet taught me that because we live in a high-tech world, we need high touch. Now, hasn't COVID helped us with that? But we still need a real human voice on the other end of the phone not just an automated one. 
And sometimes we just need the attention of a real live salesperson, not just the convenience of a price check through a price scanner attached to the wall at the back of the hardware product. I mean, the attention and interest of a real live person is a scarcity today. And COVID has programmed society to move the other way. During the pandemic, I've, I've seen people rather walk into traffic than meet a stranger shoulder to shoulder in passing on a sidewalk. But that could only go on for so long. We're not created for alienation. We're created for community and connection and friendship. Jesus is this picture. He stretches out his hand even before he spoke words of physical and spiritual healing. The Bible said he touched him. Jesus shows us the power of gentle compassion. For compassion requires more than words. Compassion always carries action. Frederick Buchner says, for compassion is the sometimes fatal capacity for feeling what it is like to live inside of somebody else's skin. It's the knowledge that there can never be any real peace and joy for me until there is peace and joy finally for you too. That's why there's nobody like Jesus. <laughs> because he is great in person and in power and in pastoral concern. Isaiah chapter 40, if you ever go, back, go to that chapter, and maybe you could this afternoon, it, it, it talks about how vast God is. And it, and it goes into detail talking about how much greater he is over anything you could ever know or imagine. But in that same chapter, there's a verse that says, and he picks, he gathers up the lambs in his arms. So as great as he is in person and power, he is great in compassion. Never forget that. When God chose to reveal himself, he did so, surprise of surprises, through a human body. The tongue that called forth the dead was a human one. The hand that touched the leper had dirt under its nails. The feet upon which the woman wept were dusty, and his tears. Don't miss his tears. They come from a heart as broken as yours or mine has ever been. People came to him 
The Bible says, I read it earlier, that the whole city came to the door. People came to Jesus. They sought him out. They followed him. They followed him all around the Sea of Galilee. They invited him into their houses. They placed their children at his feet. Why? Because he refused to be a statue in a cathedral or a priest in an elevated pulpit. Remember, it is man who creates the distance. It's Jesus who builds the bridge. Let's pray. Spirit of the living God, shine the love of Christ into this assembly this morning and be pleased to open our eyes that we might see a vision of truth and grace. We thank you for the keen sense of your presence here, your blessing, your, your ministry to us already. And we thank you for your word today, for its mystery and its power, and for the light and peace that it brings to our hearts. We ask you, though, Lord, to carry our souls this morning far from all the noises of the world, all the distractions that would compete with your will and our faith. Grant us even right now, Lord, the music of your own voice. Speak, Lord, for we are ready to listen and to trust and to obey. Living Christ, we see in your face this morning the radiance of triumph and the pledge of security of life abundant and life everlasting. And for this we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please. In ancient times, the one who blessed extended his hands for his blessing. Those receiving the blessing did likewise. If you're able-bodied and able to help us stack the chairs at the end of the gathering, we'd really appreciate it. But, Soul Sanctuary, as you head out into the world today, may the strength of Jesus pilot you. May the power of Jesus uphold you and the wisdom of Jesus guide you. May the eye of Jesus look before you, the ears of Jesus... Uh, the ear of Jesus hear you and the word of Jesus speak to you. May the hand of Jesus protect you and the compassion of Jesus fill you. And finally, may the name of Jesus give you peace. Be blessed, go, and live the church. 
and we'll see you next week. Amen.